to me, bottom line, like as, as a guy who doesn't really compete at the elite amateur level, don't like, Tony, right, you are elite in so many ways. Some ways, yeah. Like, this was, I'm like, this could have been so much worse. Like, I'm not, I'm like, well, you know, this obviously sucks for some people we know and it's going to make their lives complicated, but oh, yeah, that could have been so much worse. What is up, everybody? It's a new day. This is the E9, the E no putts given, emergency no putts given. We got stuff we got to talk about, Tony. We got this proposal from the ruling bodies, ball rollback, whatever you want to call it. Tony Covey, Chris Nickel, Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C, get those particulars out of the way. But this is going to be like a two episode week of no putts given, and this one will publish before the one we recorded yesterday. Anyway, anyway, fun, man. We're going to get technology. right technology and stuff. We're going to get right to it because basically all we're going to talk about here is ball rollback. You've probably heard something about it. You've seen other stuff out there. No doubt. We'll try to set the record straight on what we do know, what we don't know. And before we get into all of that, let me just say this. It is the tip of the iceberg, people. We are not trying to solve every corner and uh, you know, possible outcome and permutation and go down every, you know, theoretical rabbit hole on this. There will be plenty of time for that. And no doubt we will, but that's not the purpose today. The purpose today is to kind of set the record straight. Tony, you were on the call on the stuff with the USGA, et cetera, this morning. So let's start with something very basic. What do we actually know? What What are the very basics of what we know? So we've been hearing for a, a long time, going back to, I mean, probably pre 2000, but certainly the, the, the 2000, excuse me, 2020, not 2000, two, the twos. Anyway, since the 2020 distance insight report, it's been pretty clear that the USGA has been looking to rein in distance and looking very heavily at the golf ball. And I think the the feeling was that as deep down that, that path as they had gone, some sort of rollback was in the works. And so today what we have is what is officially listed as a proposal. And we are now, now that that proposal has been offered, we are now in the comment period. So that, that runs until August stakeholders, people associated with the game. Yes. August of this year. Have the opportunity to comment on the proposal, give their feedback before any official decision is made. Although I think, I think it's, I think it's relatively safe to assume like you might see a tweak here or there, but I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that this proposed rollback via modified local rule, some nuance to that as well. We'll is, get there. Yep. Is, is going to happen. All right. So what is it? Let's talk about that. Just so what are they actually proposing? And by they, we're talking the USGA and the RNA specifically we're not it's not the pga tour it's not the pga of america definitely not, not live definitely not live can't blame it, will not it's not tony's Norman. local course yes. it's not mcgregor <laughs> right they're not proposing we've got this. our it's, own we've got our own bits of weirdness but you've this got is your own weird. issues this is the usga and the rna and they are proposing specifically what so it is a change to what it what is called the overall distance standard or the ODS, which is effectively the test conditions it uses to determine if a golf ball is conforming. Okay. And so I got it up in front of me. The current standard here is it's a test at 120 miles an hour. Uh, 
launched at 10 degrees with 2,520 RPMs of spin. And under those conditions, the ball is not allowed to go more than 317 yards with a three-yard tolerance. So call it 320 yards. So that's, that is effectively the distance cap under the current con- test conditions. What's okay. being proposed is actually a, a modification to those test conditions to go from 120 miles an hour to 127 miles an hour of club head speed. Uh, and let's see, what were the distances of the spin numbers? Where did they go? I think the spin numbers went down, right? Launch went up to like 11 or something. Yeah, there spin we go. went down to about so here we go. Yeah. or something. There yeah. we go. 2200 RPM, 11 degree launch angle while still maintaining that cap of 317 plus three. Okay, so where we get the idea of a ball rollback, if you will, is saying, hey, <clears throat> the distance cap is the same. It can't go any farther at that, but we're going to change the test condition. So hit effectively, it a whole lot harder. We're going to hit it harder. with. So we're basically saying, hey, you can hit it just as far, but it's a, with 127 mile per hour swing speed. So effectively, that rolls back the ball, or that would change from today to something that was what 15 yards shorter 20 yards shorter what what so that's an interesting one i don't i don't think anybody at this point in time can can put an absolute number on it so that's the usga says roughly 15 yards based on their setup and their calibration ball and things like that but the thing to understand here is when you you factor in actual launch and spin in the real world and and how golfers have different combinations of those. The thinking is that the real world distance loss is going to be more than 15. I don't, I don't know that we can say what that is yet. I'm not sure anybody has that number, but more than 15 yards. Okay. In there. So, so what we know, this is what they've proposed. There's a comment period, basically like I said, open now through August, something of this year, 2023, at which point in time they'll take that feedback, assumably reach some type of conclusion. And let's say they do reach a conclusion and they say, hey, here's what we're going forward with. This is going to be the model local rule. And we'll talk bifurcation here in a minute. But if this is a model local rule, what's the earliest it could go into effect? When would this actually maybe potentially be something i believe january of 2026 would be kind of your your start line where the where the the option phrasing here is phrasing here is important the option for a venue a tournament a tour operator to choose to use the proposed model local rule would then be on the table okay so no matter like we said tip of the iceberg stuff here there's the earliest anything would happen would be let's say january of 2026 that's what we kind of do know at this point i want to switch gears really quickly what are the biggest things based on what you heard them say and and you've been in touch with ball manufacturers and other industry sources and stuff what don't we know that's important yeah, the big thing, I mean, there are, there are a few things. One, you know, we don't know what, what the golf balls actually look like. You know, what what the new, what a, for example, a new conforming Pro V1 would look like. Uh, you know, presumably right. launch and spin similar, just shorter. 
The big one for me is kind of the gray area. Golf is unique where you have, whether it's a textbook example is a U.S. Open qualifier, right? mm-hmm. where you have legitimate sure. amateurs competing against legitimate professionals. And the, the thinking is, hey, at the, the PGA Tour level, this model local rule is probably going to be applied. But where's the boundary? Where? How do we define the phrase that gets kicked around elite amateur and, and that's what they said, right? How this do you would define be... that? And then at what level do you apply it? NCA maybe it likely will apply this rule, but you know, as I pointed out in the article, is it is it really fair for like a D one stud who seems destined for the tour? You know, bombing Gordon Sargent, Vanderbilt that has cruising one ninety ball speeds. Okay. Is it fair to apply the same standard to him as you do? The, the D3 kid who walked on to a very small school, hits it 280 and, and post scores habitually somewhere in the high 70s, maybe even low 80s. Right. And so and you have that in, in lots of different places. Like how do you handle mid ams and things like that, where it's it's not a professional competition, but certainly fits what I think is a reasonable definition of elite, elite. amateur. <clears throat> yeah. So there's and this is this has been you know, sort of, uh, I, I think fair to say Scott Fawcett from decade, his big sticking point with the idea of bifurcation is that it's not clean. Whatever that line is, it's not, it's kind of like, yeah. You know, and because of golf, and... because of golf, it can't be right. Because it, like one of the scenarios I thought about is, okay, what if I, what if I want to play, like I said, in a, in a U.S. Open qualifier this year? And I establish a handicap that's 1.4 or below. But I've established that handicap with which ball? Or what set of equipment or whatever. And now do I have, like, so can I qualify for an event under one set of rules, but then have to play in it in a different set of rules? And Yeah, how does that, how does it work if you qualify for an event on, you know, December 15th for a January 15th event? You know, if you're lucky enough to live in a climate where that kind of thing is possible. Yeah. But it's, did again, they give it's, any, I mean, I, I'm sure there were these kind of questions on the call and stuff like that. Did they give any kind of indications to have they, I mean, because like I said, I, I get there's a comment period, but it does feel like people have a voice, maybe not a vote. <laughs> and there's certain things that are probably going to happen regardless of what happens in the comment period. Did they give any indications to what they've thought about in this regard think, to the gray so area? The gray area, it's it's dicey. So I saw, you know, Jonathan Wall from golf.com. I happened to see he posted the question, like, you know, how would you define, how are we going to define elite amateur? And there wasn't a clear response to that. I feel like they, they kind of skipped over that question, mm-hmm. at least in, in that direct context. And and basically the response from uh, from the RNA was essentially, look, this type of thing exists in other sports and they have figured it out and I'm sure we'll be able to figure it out too. And it's not, you know, that's not the most confidence inspiring answer, (laughs) but to an extent it is true. And yeah, those, those rule, those, that those bifurcated rules exist probably for different reasons than they do in golf. Sure. Talk about like, you you can't use an aluminum bat uh, as an example that was given to me recently in in the in the majors and and that's or even the minors right in professional baseball right. because yeah. you don't want anybody to die and there's a clear safety 
right. and it, it's, I guarantee you, if whether you're hit with a a Chrome Soft X, for example, or a Super Soft, it <laughs> the damage is is functionally going to be the same. Yeah, so it's not a safety. It's not the issue. same type yeah. of safety thing. It's it's strictly like we right. think <laughs> right. we think the ball is going too too far, and and one of the pervasive themes in throughout the presentation was like we are we feel we need to safeguard the future of the game and we need to take those steps immediately so that 20 30 40 years down the road right we have not made the game something that it isn't today or something that is untenable unviable yeah uh, in terms of the real estate requirements i would assume is the the big driving point and one of the things i i mentioned in the article i i haven't seen anything where and I can't quote it, but I haven't seen anything where they've they said, yeah, we we've looked into it and we feel like the the theoretical maximum club head speed for a human being still able to hit the ball straight is this. And it's something I believe Sasha McKenzie has has thought about and has posted about on occasion. So, you know, right. there are guys who have thought about these things. Uh, and and from what I remember, we're not really that far off from it. So again, I, I don't know that that was a concern. Maybe it should be if we're, you know, projecting down the road sure. and we're worried about increases. I think you do have to consider the fact that these may not be linear and inconsistent. So I don't know. Yeah. So what we don't know, we don't know what elite means. They've used this term elite events. We don't know what those are, what they aren't. We can surmise that for sure it would be things like the U.S. Open, uh, the Open or British Open, depending on where you Open Championship. At. Open Championship. Um, I think we can safely say USGA run events, uh, RNA run events. And they, they confirmed as much. So they have said, and this is another one where you, you kind of go, yeah, I think it's the right decision, practically speaking, but it's also kind of a head scratcher. So they were very clear that their intent is to, assuming that this does go through, their intent is to adopt the model local rule at the Open Championship and at the U.S. Open right. for the men. Not for the women, because they, again, have made a, a distinction, and I, I think a fair and correct distinction, that for the women's game currently, and they've acknowledged women are getting faster, they are getting stronger, but where they are right now, distance is not necessarily a problem. And obviously, on those courses, you have probably some room to move back a tee box or two that you don't have sure. at, at the, with the men's game. But it is nevertheless interesting and you know, just feels weird. <laughs> but it, hey, yeah, we're gonna, sure, we're gonna. Yeah, this is the rule for the men. This is the rule for the women, and well, they're, they're not and, the same. Yeah, I mean, and, and we'll get to this and kind of just what are some of the muddy issues that we want to tackle later, moving on. But that's one where I have to kind of. It, there's something about that that feels off to me, and I don't know if it's that golf has kind of always been under this guise of one set of rules, and that's kind of been a philosophical underpinning. And now we're saying, okay, it's different for men different for women like i don't totally know how i feel about that just yet but different for men different for women different for amateurs i mean it's like i said it's not yeah you don't have that clear line it's we're gonna kind of meander our way to something that works hopefully okay so for the people that sit on the side of the fence that are looking at this and it could be rna usga other people that are obviously sympathetic to this and i've seen a lot of comments on social media of, hey absolutely it's about time jack nicholas has been saying this for a long time there are others that have uh that are proponents of it jeff shackelford proponent of it whatever what you know 
what are the pros, according to people that are in support of this? What are they seeing this as, or what are the positives that they're taking from this? What are the wins, I guess? Well, the big one, again, protecting the future of the game, safeguarding the future so that it does not become obsolete by distance. And again, you know, you can point to several posts on Twitter by Lou Stagner that documents like been hearing the same story over and over again. And that's something golf just loves to do is repeat the same story right. decade <laughs> after decade after decade. And, right. you know, never really. Distance has been ruining golf since golf's been played. True. Right. That's I mean, documented every step of the way. People are right. grumbling about it. But you know, at some point you do have to look like, all right, guys are legitimately hitting it 350 on occasion. Maybe something's going on. So protecting, safeguarding the future of the game. Okay. There is the the environmental impact argument. Like, well, you know, if we got these guys that are hitting it this far, we need to build 8,000-yard courses, and then there are maintenance and environmental factors and costs associated with all of that. And, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. and as, again, something I pointed out in the article, look, there is absolutely minimal need for an 8,000-yard course. Right. I, mean, I don't obsolete it. I'm not I'm not obsoleting an 8,000 or a 7,000-yard course. You're not doing it. You hit uh, the ball. Both of us hit the ball pretty far. Uh, yeah, you know, but we're, we're not, not obsoleting. The only thing not I'm obsoleting, obsoleting is the is the by and large like, Denny's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, by and large, the choice the building an eight thousand yard course is a choice that some developer made in the hopes of attracting a PGA Tour event. So it is right. sort of this cycle. And as far as the environmental impact, that's that's not a flatline issue. Again, no. Pointed out in the article, I think I would wager that the environmental impact, the maintenance considerations for a design like Bandon Dunes, where you kind of just carve it out <laughs> right. of the earth and let it be what it is, are significantly right. less than something like, as we saw last week on TV, Sawgrass, where it's like this pristine, absolutely manicured, attempting to be flawlessly manicured, built for golf, very clearly was built for golf, does not look sure. like anything that exists in nature. That's right. a different environmental impact. Mm-hmm. Well, and... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a good point, and these things that sound good in in theory, and, and you say, yeah, well, nobody wants to necessarily harm the environment needlessly, and there's different levels to which people feel uh, obligated to be environmentally responsible, and and that's totally fair. Um, but when you look at a course, like when you break down the costs, right, of of running a golf course. And I may be totally wrong on this, but I thought I read that disproportionately it costs way more to care for greens and green complexes than fairways and tee boxes. Sure. So if you if you really wanted to, if that is true, and I think it is, if you really wanted to lessen environmental impact, why wouldn't you just make all the greens smaller? A little bit. You know, I mean, so again, we get into some of these rabbit holes and I don't want to. Well, it it does become, there are design choices that are inherently, regardless of the length of the course, more environmentally friendly, more sustainable than others. Sure. Yeah. Do you have sod? Do you have turf? Do you have fescue just growing? Waste areas instead of lush rough, right? Right. It's so. Options. So, okay. So pros, uh, they're going to say, hey, this is going to return some of the balance to the game, right? A balance skill making sure that one doesn't it's not dominated too heavily by distance though golf distance players those can hit it further have always been at an advantage michael on of the usj was clear in this that he 
believes like distance will continue to be an advantage. And whether if there is an area of a game that an individual golfer excels, that should always be an advantage for that player. And so they don't want to take away the distance advantage. They just kind of want to pull everybody back a little bit. And, and the thing to keep in mind, we'll talk about this more as we start talking about what it means for manufacturers. When you, when you roll back the golf ball, we, we frame this in terms of driver distance, but sure. it has implications with every club in the bag. Right. And so, you know, everything, everything kind of slides back. Sure. Yeah. It's not just call it 15 to 20 yards off your driver. It could be three to five yards, could be half a club on your irons, could be, you know, who knows? Again, we don't know all those details. And I think, I think that's going to be, I think that's probably going to be the frontier in the cat and mouse game is, all right, you've taken, you've taken this away from the driver. How much can we get back in, in in the rest of the bag? Yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. With, you know, so with that, what's the early feedback that, that you're hearing from, you know, players, manufacturers, other, uh, yeah, I've, I've yet other to find sources, a, a manufacturer, yeah. for example, who seems thrilled by it. Right. And that's, that's a whole different, you know, perspective on what going, what's going on. I think, I think by and large, most golfers are like, cool, you know, no big deal. It does not impact my life. And that's, that's right. going to be true for, for the overwhelming majority of golfers. So I think if the USGA, needed to do something, felt that it needed to do something, which it obviously had. This was this was probably bifurcation issues aside, this was probably the right way to do it because this is saying, look, yeah, we're gonna do this in such a way where it does not impact for the most part, you know, a little asterisk there, but for the most right. part, does not impact the overwhelming majority of golfers. The tour cut and dry there and those guys will adapt it's a nightmare for manufacturers but those guys will adjust and eventually adapt to whatever's giving to them it's just really murky in that that little area between again elite amateur that that's where it's murky <laughs> yeah. that's where it's it's yeah. a mess that's where i don't think maybe they've thought it through entirely but but otherwise it's it's this to me bottom line like as as a guy who doesn't really compete at the elite amateur level. Don't like, Tony, right, you are elite in so in many ways. Some ways, yeah. This was I'm like, <laughs> this could have been so much worse. Like I'm not I'm like, well, you know, it obviously sucks for some people we know and it's gonna make their lives complicated, but oh yeah, that could have been so much worse. Yeah, I mean I I think there's some, you know, kind of possible third rail stuff here too, right? Where it's like where I, I can just, you know, see kind of moving forward that where some of these, you know, potential pitfalls or kind of crossroad type things like, and I'll just ask you a couple of these and, and maybe how realistic you think that they might be. Um, are there going to be legal challenges if they do decide? Again, we're in the common period. Nothing's been officially decided. So, just like, you know. I gotcha, but assuming that it goes the way that it kind of you know whatever is, are there legal ramifications potentially? I don't think that option for some manufacturers is off the table. Like I think it, it's a consideration. I don't know how serious it is, and I, I don't know how understanding the the full framework of the proposed new rule changes the potential for uh, for some type of litigation. But it is it is interesting and. Again, I don't know if it's related 
because I am not a legal scholar. I don't know kind of where the line is or certainly what approach a company would take if they wanted to bring legal action. But sure. by, by sort of presenting it as a model local rule, the USGA is saying, look, we are not, we're not forcing anybody to do anything. This is not a fundamental change to the rules. This is not a mandate. Right. We're giving you a choice. We're giving the right. PGA Tour a choice. We're, we're giving ourselves a choice. Live has a choice. Elite amateur events, however you want to decide, have, have a, choice. a choice. Yeah. So it's not it's not taking taking <clears throat> away something with the rules. It's introducing again a choice, an option, uh, a different approach. If a tour operator, venue, whatever it happens to be, want to take it, and so it's in some context, I think it would be very difficult to say, hey, the, this is all on the USGA because all they did again presented created a new choice. Mm-hmm. But again, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not a, a master legal scholar. No, it's 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 a technique not altogether unfamiliar to parents, right? Where you may give your daughter a choice, like you could go clean up your room and have it done by dinner, and we can enjoy a nice dinner, and then after dinner we can go get ice cream at Martha's. You could choose that, or you could choose not to do that, and go suffer eternal damnation in hell over here and not clean your, but Hey, you know what? Ultimately choice. that is your choice. Your, choice. your call. On, I'm not telling you what you I'm have not telling you what you have to presenting do. the options. And that's, that's where we are. This is a presentation likely when this all settles of a new option. Likely. So, all right. Another potential pitfall. Could all the ball manufacturers just say, screw you. We're not going to do it. They could, but it's, if, you're just creating opportunities for your competitor. And and I think even, even with what I have described as a, a, the potentially what we're talking about here is a tour ball that by comparison to today's standard sucks Sucked. by design. <laughs> sucks by design. You still That's, have, yeah. there's still going to be that element of tour validation that on some level is, is still important. So, Hey, look, the, hmm? What are the number one ball on tour after a rollback? If that's still a Titleist, then I would assume most guys are going to go, well, I, I maybe don't want to play that Titleist ball because right. it, it sucks by design. Right. On purpose. Yeah. But I'm, I'm going to play the Titleist ball that goes farther than the one on tour because whatever it happens to be. And there'll be guys that will choose Callaway for similar reasons because John Rahm, even with the new tour ball that sucks by design. Right. Keeps winning everything, whatever it happens to be. Right. So I, I think that tour validation is is going to be important still, but it's not without pitfalls. Yeah. No, I think I think that's fair. And so, all right, I see why USGA, you know, their championships, elite events. I got it. RNA understood Open Championship. I get it. If you told me that Augusta. The Masters was going to go down that route too. I get it. Like I see why they would. Oh, those guys have got to be real sick and tired of buying adjacent properties and lengthening cores and I mean, doing all it, of that stuff. It, yeah, it's, it, not... it's probably not what they want to be doing. It's not the sure, fun even... part of running the Masters. I guess. Probably not. But I, based on what we've seen in the last twelve months, six months, even the last month and couple weeks with how the PGA Tour is positioning itself as an entertainment product and, and, and dealing with live, right, and, and understanding 
trying to figure out its place in this market, etc. I can't see why the PGA Tour would want to do something like this. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they'd be like, "Yep, okay, we're in." Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they want to. But even even with these enhanced or what are they calling the the elevated? Excuse elevated me, elevated events. tour events, right? The majors are really still the only thing that that matters. I mean, we've talked about this, right? Four majors, one I or know, two others I that know. are slightly more consequential. I mean, I you can throw as much money as, as you want at it. I, I'm still not going to care all that much about anything that isn't a major. Right. And if you have, as we're predicting, we know we know two of the majors have already said we're we're adopting this rule. Right. We assume the Masters is call it going three to, out of four. I mean, right, you're probably pretty. The PGA Championship is. You know, if if there's a major that's barely a major, I think most would agree that that's the one. It's anyway. four out and of four. So, yeah. yeah. And and so do you, how do you navigate again, right? We're talking about this is not clean. How right. could you potentially navigate a situation where golfers play under one set of rules, defining the, the ball that they're able to play? So playing with one ball in all of these tournaments, but for these other four, the four that matter most, they have to use a ball that is completely and otherwise unfamiliar to them that goes shorter that they have to make adjustments for. Now I'm not mm-hmm. saying it's impossible sure. because right. You know, you're you know this as well as anybody. The the ball when you play when you come visit me here in upstate New York, right? That's that's fundamentally a if you play that ball at altitude, it Different doesn't deal. work. It doesn't work. It performs differently. So you know, you are capable of making that adjustment. Pros have to make those type of adjustments all the time. So it's not sure. It's not inconceivable that they would have one. And they're set the of best numbers. in the world. Right. Like, hey, I, I know my numbers <laughs> yeah. with a a stock Pro V1 that was, you know, really good ball in 2023. And I also know my numbers with this new one, which maybe doesn't go as far, but I've made that adjustment. It's all and again, is is as the tour as golf in general becomes more data driven, it becomes more of a numbers game. I think that means it's an easier adjustment if, if it does go that route. But again, Mm -hmm. I think we know tour players don't like to mess with their equipment any more than they have to. And so the idea of, all right, you know, for three, these three weeks, I'm going to play the rolled back ball, but now, Hey, it's a major. So I'm going to (laughs) switch or excuse me, vice versa. I'm going to play the hot ball for three weeks. Rolled back ball for a major, a couple more weeks. They're going to play the the rolled back ball or the hot ball. Now I got to go back to the the rolled back. It's just I don't yeah, they see don't it want, happening. They don't want to be doing that. Um, it's overly complicated. So I think the simple solution is. is like, all right, we're going to eat this and we're just going to play this this one ball and yeah, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that that'll we don't be have one. To like it. No, I don't think anybody. Like, I don't think anybody on tour is like, <laughs> yes, I can't wait no, to be shorter. I, I, I don't think so. And, I mean, it, it it begs this question. Like, just be, obviously, I get why manufacturers would not be excited about this, right? For a variety of different reasons, not the least of which is is cost and trying to figure out. Okay, now we have to uh, allocate resources, and you can make whatever your argument you want. Yes, they probably some already have other facilities to make different balls and and things like that. But it's not as simple as just like turning on a switch and saying, hey, let's go ahead and make this particular ball. So there are costs, right? And, yeah, it's not it's not starting from zero, but right. it, it's certainly not 
Yeah, you're not on third base either. You're not you're not starting with the 2021 <laughs> Pro V1 to get to the 23 model, for example. It's it's not right. that convenient little gap. No, that's it's a right. big deal because as I said, the the ball impacts every club in the bag. And so you've got to make sure that whatever you come up with achieves the desired result, the expected result throughout the bag. And then I mean there of the major manufacturers, none of them offer a single ball. So Correct. regardless of a Correct. rollback, tour players will continue to have distinct launch and spin needs, trajectory needs. And so if you're Titleist, for example, right. you can't go, oh, this is this sucks. We're just going to make a Pro V1. No, you, you need Pro V1, still need X, you need dot and dash and probably need four different ones. Bridgestone you might need Star has four. Bridgestone <laughs> yeah, and, has three know. to four. Callaway has three to four. Strixon, three to four, right? Yeah. And so, okay, you, so... You, Nobody can make just one and, and get away with it. So, and, and, and maybe I'm thinking about this too simplistically, but if I'm a, a company and I have to dedicate time resources to making this ball that, frankly, there's there's no secondary market for it. Nobody, yeah, maybe someone's going to buy one because they're interested or there's a little novelty. I've seen some or, or guys something. on Twitter being like, I'm going to play with the pros play. And I'm like. No, I, just, I don't. Uh, yeah, uh, I, it no, sounds like a good idea until you see the practical implications. Yeah. It's theoretically a wonderful idea. Like I'm going to commit to the soul of the game and play what the pros play until, Great. you know, until guys that used to be even with you are just a little bit behind you or 10, 15, yeah. maybe 20. And if that guy, that guy that says that is still playing a feathery, then I'll believe him. Then I'll be like, all right, cool. Golf balls made with rubber bands it. even. I mean, come on. Right. But other than that, if I'm a company and I, I'm dedicating time, resources, et cetera, to that pursuit, I can't dedicate the same amount of resources to advancing the other stuff in my lineup. And then who bears that cost? Because this is going to introduce additional cost, assuming that these companies are running economically efficiently as they are now. This is going to create additional cost on some level. Oh, who bears, absolutely. <laughs> who's going to bear the brunt of that cost. So when they say, Hey, this isn't going to impact the retail game. I get it from a performance standpoint, but what if in order to offset the cost of these new tour balls or whatever, and by the way, it's going to be really tough to pay players to play a ball that you and I can't or don't want, or really have no need to go purchase. Where do those costs go? Well, I think obviously tour player tour players will have to start, paying for golf balls that's the only <laughs> oh no 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 what do you think who do you think's gonna pay for it you and like, i the consumer yeah, you don't i mean you don't like a 55 dollars pro v1 how do you like 70 dollars pro v1 somebody like i said this this is not an in easy this is not hey all right let's spend next week solving this problem in r&d and then get on with it this is not this is not a quick turnaround this is an entirely new path of research if you will like it's like i right. said it's not starting from zero but it's it's not starting anywhere near where you need to be and it's it's going to be an expensive process for everybody who decides to make a tour ball and the companies and, aren't going to eat the cost yeah, yeah I just, they're not not every bit of it so certainly not all of it yeah. if you don't like a 55 dollar titleist ball if you don't like a 53 dollar tailor-made ball a 50 dollar callaway ball I've got some news for you. Yeah, wait. <laughs> <laughs> These costs will not go down. No. These costs will not remain stagnant if a company has no alternative, no viable alternative. It sees its its only viable path is to develop 
two separate lines of essentially premium golf balls. I mean, sure. yeah, they develop separate lines now. But guys, right. we've talked about this. This is there is not a high performance specification associated with an ionomer ball. There is no significant problem that, that, that needs doesn't... solving. This right. is not. That's an entirely different situation. Like this is we have to de design high performance golf balls that meet every reasonable need of our tour staff, meet market expectations, designed to a high quality. They just have to go shorter and it's, it's not simple. And, and, and one of the things, you know, as I kind of thought through is, well, it's easy. It's easy. Just, well, it's not entirely easy, right? But you start, oh, soften it up. You know, it's going to, it's yeah. going to fly shorter, but all I right. Know that well, part. Yeah. yeah. Well, your launch and spin aren't going to match. And I guarantee you as finicky as tour players are, they're not going to enjoy the feel of a 40 compression golf ball that got spit out to, to hit some, some short distance number that the USGA floated as an option. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, like I said, there's, there's a lot of nuance to that, but when they say, Hey, this isn't going to impact the recreational golfers. Yeah. Not directly, but you may have the opportunity to subsidize it. Yeah. They, you know, you, you, may, awesome. uh, you may be given the choice to pay <laughs> more for a golf ball or right. not. And right. So maybe, maybe it creates opportunities for the DTC guys who, sure. who won't have to come up because I, 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 can't imagine that Snell is not going to be making a tour. I can't imagine Encore is going to reach ball. out to the factory and go, "Hey guys, you know what? Yeah, we we need to make something that that isn't that gets played on tour, even though you know for the most part, DTC yeah. guys don't get tour play because there yeah. is an element that's paid for. There's an element of guys being set in their ways. There is an element of balls yeah. being designed to a specific spec that it varies a little bit differently than not necessarily what average golfers need, but certainly what they want. There right. are all sorts of considerations in there that, that make me think that DTC guys won't see a lot of upside in this. And that, that may allow them to draw a nice little line and, and you know, con continue to further those claims of like, Hey, those guys designed for pros, but we're really focused on you. So right. it may create opportunities for DTC brands. I don't know, TBD, but a lot of TV sloppy. And the most, the most fascinating thing to me is, is the ball guy is, is today. If you had to, if this rule went into effect today and okay. you had to find a conforming ball from your current lineup, what do you have? What on the market right now is conforming? Yeah. Does anybody have, I mean, is there anything out there right so now? So I, I talked to three brands. I talked to Titleist. Okay. And in this case, it's probably better to say that I spoke with a Kushnet because okay. the the <laughs> one ball in the lineup that they believe, and again, nobody has tested this all the way. Sure. So right. it's, you know, some calculations and things like that that go, yeah, in, yeah. go into this. But the one ball in the Kushnet lineup that, that they believe would conform to the new uh, ODS is the Pinnacle Soft. Oh, Callaway. Guys. Callaway thinks it may have two. May. Okay. So if, if you're a tour player looking to implement a, a rollback of sorts start today. Start practicing right now. Callaway can actually give you options. Okay. Uh, it's it's either the Reva. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or the Super Soft Max. So not even the standard Super Soft. You have to go to the upsize, the supersized model to, to roll it back enough. And that, this is, again, it's like 15 yards. Really? 
And again, mm-hmm. the the launch and spin parameters of these balls are are different, so it's it's not sure. a, a direct one to one comparison. No, but, but just based. I mean, it's it's a little bit of a yeah. It's just one of those things where exercise you're like, of like like what? whoa. You know? And so I, I reached out to Bridgestone as well. Um, they basically what they said is we have balls we believe would be conforming. I asked specifically about the Tor B lineup, and and the response was essentially that the the current generation of Tor B was designed to conform to the current rules. And so <laughs> Which I think is we, to say, <laughs> yeah, probably I think not. Probably not. There, I, I would wager that there is not a single urethane covered golf ball on the market today that would that conform would to the new to the new proposed modified yeah. local rule standard. And so that that should tell you kind of where we're starting from. There's nothing to build off of. It's you know, Callaway can't can't sort of start at a Chrome soft and say, we're almost there. We just have to tweak a few things. Right. It's 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 there it's is not yeah, it, it, there's some work to do and, and as we said, somebody's gonna pay for that work. Yeah, it's not going to happen in a vacuum. I, the other question, last question I had for, for right now, and we can debate this more as we go and whatever, is when I look back at it, one of my, and this is maybe a personal issue, you know, maybe something I need to work out with a professional or something, but sometimes I feel like rulemaking bodies have a problem in the sense that they like to make rules. And sometimes... It's why I rag on HOAs. So well, well, this time though, they gave they didn't make a rule. They're, I know they if just this gave goes you through. An they're option. giving you the option to make the rule. Giving it's me your the, choice. I, I and I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. But when I look back at some of the rules, even so, and and again, this is maybe just a nice little legal way of getting around that. I could see where some people would look and say, you know what? I don't have a whole lot of faith in how the USGA has gone about some of these changes. I look at the groove rule, if you will, which again was applied across the board, really hurt amateurs, the people with the least amount of time, ability, athleticism to to work with that. And then manufacturers basically said, okay, well, we're going to work to get you all that spin back through other means. And it just was like kind of reaching around your elbow to grab your ass, you know, like Okay, great. What did that actually accomplish? You can make a similar case with like the anchor ban, where I'm not touching. I'm not touching. There wasn't any data. It was, in my opinion, basically a subjective element of we don't don't like like people winning really big events. Keegan Bradley, Ernie Els, people. We don't like how that looks. That doesn't look like golf. So it's not a photogenic way to putt. Let's just get rid of it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look how we want it to look. And so for people that might be inclined to say, well, USGA, you were kind of asleep at the wheel when those things happened. It was very reactionary, maybe not very well thought out, not a lot of data to support these certain things. Are we in a position where there's a solution that's looking for a problem? Like that's... have we all agreed that this distance problem is a problem and and if so or if not does the usga potentially are they starting to almost erode some of their own credibility by going down this route well that's an interesting one so i think i think obviously some feel that way in fact in the title of statement they referred to the proposal as a solution in search of a problem yeah others have too i think but yeah for sure and i and 
well, well, the USGA has prov provided a lot of data, uh, again, citing the, the 2020 Insights Report. Not everyone necessarily agrees with the conclusions, sort of the underlying reasons for the increase maybe aren't as, as cut and dry as they're made out to be. So they're, again, nuanced every step of the way. Uh, and so there, there's not going to be universal agreement. I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. Um, like I said, my perspective is like, oh, shit, that could have been way worse. I'm okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I will say this, though, in, in sitting on in on the call, uh, I do believe that the USGA is 100% sincere in, in its stewardship of the game. It feels like this is a necessary course correction. It feels like, you know, it is it is part of its duty to address the problem. And again, not universal agreement, but there, that there is sure. a problem. But yeah, I, I do think fundamentally it would be worse if you're a, a governing body and you are 100% convinced, as the USGA is, that there is a problem and then go, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. So sure, it's one thing to not like the solution. It's fundamentally, I think it is worse to, in that position, say, yeah, we think it's a problem, but we're not going to do anything about it. That That's being asleep at the wheel. And so while I don't necessarily agree with all of the conclusions and I have lots of issues with the proposal again in terms of that elite amateur thing being the big one and and the implications sure. for golf ball companies and what that that means to otherwise unaffected consumers i mean i it's it's, it's hard to find any real sort of I, I can't get angry about it i do i agree with it but to the letter no the model it does the modified local rule feel like a little bit of a kind of a, a little bit of a sure it out yeah it, it absolutely totally does is. kind of feel yeah. that way but I mean, I'm, I, you know, I thought I was going to be way madder about this, but this is to me, at least if you're going to do something I, I don't agree with, at least do it in a way that, that doesn't impact me. And in this case, you know, I think I'm representative of the overwhelming majority of golfers. This probably, yeah. Apart from the potential for some price increases, this does not imp impact me. And this was kind of based on the original feedback that they got from kind of the you know, areas of interest studies, the, the thing that they heard over and over and over again was don't do anything that messes this up for, for the recreational golfer. And right. as you said, with the, with the wedge rule, the groove rule, that didn't impact amateurs, recreational golfers. And they said, screw it. We're just going to, you know, blanket rule, slap right. it on. Right. The, We're going to make it harder for you. The, right. the anchoring. Right. I mean, how many guys won on tour major events with, with anchored putters, I mean, I, I was—I believe you can count them on one hand. Yeah. And they said, we don't care. Blanket rule, let's apply <clears throat> it to everybody. Right. With the, I mean, I think the 46-inch model local rule, I think that's just inherently nonsense. That's that's a rule that didn't need to be made. Uh, I, I struggle to find any reason for it, especially if you knew, like, down the road, we're just going to do this anyway. Right. And I think they did. Of course but, they did. Yeah. So that, that was kind of a little bit of weak sauce. And again, um, I could, you know, I guess I can nitpick that it does feel like a cop out, but also, like I said, it's, it's a cop out that, that works ultimately to the benefit of the majority of golfers who, and that, that really should be the audience that the USGA is, is most focused on. So like I said, I don't love it. Maybe, maybe I'm, I'm not completely sold by any means that there's, there is an actual distance problem, but if you're going to do something implications for the elite amateurs notwithstanding this is i'm i'm mostly okay with it yeah like we said more to come there's a lot of rabbit holes and, and like i said we just 
mentioned a couple of them and, and there's a notice and comment period right through August. So what are we here in March? Third month of the year, go to the eight month. Uh, so you got another what? Five I don't know. Winter just started here in New York, so <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the hell's going on. You're in so. your third winter of upstate New York, and so there's going to be time. I, I I do like you. I feel like there's some elements of this that are probably foregone conclusion. People have a voice, maybe not a vote. They'll take the feedback. We'll see. I don't know that legal stuff is totally off the table yet. Like you, I think there's still. Some possibilities again, depending on exactly again how it was proposed and how it's written and and what type of protection that maybe offers different parties involved. Um, well, I mean, if you but, if again if this was a blanket rule, then you have by decree invalidated a couple decades worth of R and D. Sure. And by sort of going, no, it's it's a choice. Right. It's a choice. It's your choice what you do with that that existing R and D. But can they argue it? maybe that it that's one in the same? Like, yeah, you call it whatever you want, but in practical application, it's not. I mean, so again, all that stuff will come. We don't know. We'll see. We'll talk to more ball companies. We'll see if we can get more information as we go. There's going to be no end to the uh, number of questions and things that we get up. But any final thoughts, Tony? No, like I, like I said, as you said at the start, this is this is just the beginning. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting few months for anybody who, who cares about golf equipment and most specifically the equipment used on tour and, and sort of the implications for the rest of the golfing population. Mm-hmm. Like he said, right? We've only just begun. What friends listen to endless love in the dark all the time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well. Questions, comments on that note. Post them below. We'll get back to you as fast as we can. Let us know what you think. We're going to stay on top of this one for sure. But until next time, we out. <laughs>